0: Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat, and I want to welcome you once again to Gospel City Church. What an honor it is to worship with you, to sing. Thanks to the worship team for leading us, and hopefully, you brought a Bible with you, and you can grab your Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Genesis chapter 2, and we are going to spend our time on verses 4 all the way through 25. So, a bigger passage in Genesis this morning, so rich, so much that we could draw out of it. Before we attempt to do any of that, let's just allow his word to speak in this place. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, 4 through 25 over us, and I understand it's a longer passage. This may be the most important moment of the service, however, because God's holy and word is being spoken. And so let's lean in together, get our eyes on a copy of it. And let's hear the word of the Lord as his body that he's building up today. Holy Spirit, come and move and speak. Now, hear the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground in a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made up made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was the Pishon and it is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there was gold and the gold of the land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The, sec- the name of the second river is the Gihon and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we thank you for just the time to pour out our, our praise to you. Lord, certainly we want to devote ourselves to the teaching and preaching of God's word. We want your word to Get from our minds to our hearts and transform us and to show us our desperate need for you. When we know that we are saved and in Christ, there should be joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Because we are rejoicing that you are a God of the impossible. And perhaps one of the greatest miracles that you've ever performed is crushing our rock-hard, solid hearts and giving us a heart of flesh so that we might walk in your ways and be careful to obey your laws. And it's because of that that we can throw up our hands and praise you again and again, proclaiming with every tribe, tongue, and nation, Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that's been applied to our lives. And just as we closed, vertically exclaiming, all glory be to your name and your name alone. Holy Spirit, would you be pleased with our worship this morning? Would you enthrone yourself on the praise of your people? And Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to enlighten what you would have for us from your holy word? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, as we approach Genesis chapter two, large passage, so much that we could pull out of it. Uh, You can get God's definition of marriage from Genesis chapter two, God defined marriage, he alone gets to define it. And so we see that you could also pull a theology of work out of Genesis chapter two. But the big idea that I want to drive home this morning that we're going to hone in on through Genesis chapter 2 and draw out of it is this, God created male and female equal in value, distinct in role, and as the fullest expression of his glory. God created male and female, equal in value, distinct in role, and as the fullest expression of his glory. So each of those phrases and the big idea will become our points as we get into it. And you might say, well, didn't we already study this? Didn't we already study male and female? And I'll say, yeah, look back maybe one column in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And remember, we saw the triune God purposing to form humanity and he said, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. But when we got to that verse a few weeks ago, we we, we honed in on the Imago Day, the truth that we have all Regardless of race or ethnicity or age or background, we've all been created in the image of God. Therefore, we have intrinsic worth and value and we've been given a purpose and we've been blessed with functionality on the earth and we are made to image the glory of God all around the world. Now we get to Genesis chapter 2 and what you may have noticed... As I read uh, the section that I read this morning, you probably thought, well, that feels like a, a, a second creation account. He's retelling the story of creation. And even skeptics have tried to use Genesis chapter 2 to sort of disprove the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. Many skeptics have said, see, the Bible uh, can't be trusted. It contradicts itself right out of the gate in the first two chapters. And the truth is, that's just a bad reading of God's word. See, Genesis chapter 1 is introducing us to Elohim, who was the one true God. And Elohim spoke and creation followed and it came in the seven days and on the seventh day God rested and there's an end, there's a, there's a new start to the story as we get to Genesis chapter 2. Look at, at verse 4. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So that little heading is telling you that the Bible is about to proclaim the history of humanity, the history of mankind. And and that heading runs the entire way through chapter four. We get through sin and, and the curse and the fall, and we get to Cain and Abel, Adam's uh, sons, and, and there's the first murder. And then when you get to chapter five, you see another heading. Chapter five, verse one says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. So something's happening in Genesis chapter two and sort of this retelling. It's retelling us, The history of the world, but as it pertains to you as male and female, as it pertains to humanity. It's kind of like a microscope, and you think about adding more acute lenses. When you get to Genesis 1, verse 1, you have, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." Genesis 1 verse 2, put the acute lens on, it zooms in a little further. The earth was formless and without, and, and was void and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deeps. And then you get to chapter 2, you put another acute lens on our microscope and it zooms in even further on this perfect, beautiful garden that's on planet earth. And then you put another acute lens on and it zooms in even further to male and female. It's zooming in on humanity And the love of the Father is so on display in just this little detail. The Bible is a story about relationship. It's about humanity's relationship with an all-powerful, all-creating God who's chosen to make himself known. And that relationship, it, it started exactly how God intended it without the marring and brokenness of sin that all of us know today. As Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, they walked with God. And they talked with God and like the hymn says, he tells me I am his own, unmarred by the sin and shame of the world. So Genesis chapter 2 is helping us see whose we are and who we are as human beings who have been placed on the earth. One theologian said this, true wisdom consists of a knowledge of God and a knowledge of ourselves. You gotta know whose you are and who you are if you want true wisdom. And we've, we draw who we are from the first pages of the Bible. Uh, the first question in the New City Catechism, my family's been using it devotionally as we go week by week with our kids. And, and the first question is this, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our savior, Jesus Christ. First step of getting the gospel, realizing that he is God and you are not and you belong to him and so as we get into Genesis chapter two it shows us the personal relationship that God the father wants to have with all of humanity and so the first point let's dive into it is this male and female are equal in value male and female are equal in value And the first thing that we have to acknowledge this morning is that God indeed created two genders. What God created in his image was male and female, and those are very much binary terms. Shouldn't have to tell you that, but we live in a culture, we live in a world that's trying to say that there's a lot of gray area between these terms, male and female. I've heard pastors say it, I've heard People in our community even saying that there's a lot of beauty and a lot of gray area in between male and female, and those are, are non-binary terms. But in Genesis 127, the word for man is Adam, which in Genesis 2 becomes the proper name for Adam, right? We get Adam, and you see a capital A when we get to Genesis chapter 2. But while Adam can be used to singularly reference homo sapiens, the distinct plurality of what God was creating is seen in the clarifier of Genesis chapter 1:27. In the image of God, he created a dom. Male and female, he created them. So when God started humanity, he was very sure and he was very precise in what he was doing. We shouldn't have to question that after studying Genesis chapter 1 and being introduced to the one true God who is Elohim. Remember, he's all-powerful, he's all-sovereign, he's all-ruling, and God spoke and mature creation followed, and God purposed and precise functionality followed, and God created humanity, and two distinct genders followed. So now look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 in your Bible. I'm going to do a flyover of a couple verses in the text, and we'll pull some things out. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You know, our, our children, at, at one of the earliest questions in their development that they ask, where did I come from? Well, you came from mommy and daddy. Where did mommy and daddy come from? They came from there, mommy and daddy. And you run that line back far enough. Where did humanity come from? Right there. Genesis 2 verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Verse 18. Look in your Bible. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now look at verse 22 over the text. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman... And brought her to the man. Now, there's so much personal precision and relational agape love communicated to you in those three verses that I pulled out of Genesis chapter 2. Let's let's look at a couple of them. The first thing you should notice is the name of God that we are given. Look back at verse 7. We're interacting with our Bibles a lot today, that's a good thing on Sunday morning. The the name of God is probably, in all three of those verses, you see a capital L and a capital O-R-D. The Lord God. Okay? And so we're being introduced now, as the Bible gets even more personal on humanity, we're being introduced to God's personal name for those who would walk with him. This is translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh. In chapter 1, we were introduced to him as Elohim. In chapter 2, we see him as Yahweh because he was walking with humanity whom he was creating. God is very much Elohim to the entire universe, to the entire world. Every religion will answer to Elohim, but Elohim becomes Yahweh when you begin to walk with him. And this is who God desires to be for all of mankind. God desires a relationship with you restored today only by the sacrifice of his beloved son on the cross. And so if you don't know Elohim as Yahweh, as the personal God who has made himself known, the gospel beckons you to repent and believe, to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and come to him believing that he alone defeated death in the grave and repentance and faith in him can save you. But the second thing you should notice is the compassion that God has toward mankind. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God or Yahweh said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And, and I, was, I was super moved this week as I was contemplating this verse, moved to worship, because God loves man so much that he notices what is not good in our lives. Just think about it for a moment. Even in the creation of the first human being in the midst of a perfect universe and creation that God saw was very good. Every day that God created, when the day ended, God said it was good. But in the midst of his very good creation, he took the time to notice what was not good for mankind. And I think that's one of the most beautiful and personal truths about God and humanity. God sees you right where you are today. And his heart is is broken by what is not good in your life. His heart is compassionate toward your situation today just as he was compassionate toward Adam who was alone in the garden. God sees your wondering. God sees you searching for purpose. God sees when you feel alone. God sees all of us who are wrestling with sexual brokenness due to the fall. God sees even the state of our world. People killing people. Wars, breaking out rumors of war, and it breaks his heart. And while he sees what is not good, and while his heart is broken for his creation, he still communes within the Trinity, perfect harmony between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is able to restore. So God seeing what is not good in our lives hasn't caused him to condemn us or to leave us on our own, but it caused him to send his son into the world to save us. Psalm 145 says this about our God. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. But the third thing that you should notice is that this passage is showing us the equality in male and female. Look back in your Bibles at verse 19. I want to read through 22. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. I just got to say, that's got to be the best job in all of the universe. (laughs) I mean, like, here comes parading all of the creatures that God has created, and Adam gets to be like, whoa, that's pretty cool. We'll call that a hippopotamus. Uh, That's a horse. That one's got stripes. Let's try zebra. I don't know. Let's try a tarantula. Let's try a a blue whale. I love animals. I think they're awesome. I'll probably retire at a zoo someday. Uh, We'll see how long the pasture thing works out. But, but awesome, Adam gets to name the animals. But then we get to verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep, or, or sorry, verse 20. The man gave the name of the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So you've heard the story. You've seen it on the flannel graph. This is the part where Adam names all the animals and then he's sitting there with his hands in his face and tears are running down his face because he didn't find anybody that resembled him. He didn't have anybody that he could pair up with. All the animals were pairing up and and they were being fruitful and multiplying and doing what they needed to do. And Adam's like, where is my companion? (laughs) Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs. That's how you know God loves barbecue because the first thing he took back was Ribs took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I mean just this is this is the scene like I, I think about this scene Adam goes to sleep after naming all the animals and he wakes up and he sees the first woman. I mean just imagine that sight like uh, my mind immediately goes i think in the 80s there was a cartoon where there was a dog and every time he saw the love of his life like a heart would pound out of his chest and eyes would come out and he'd be like ooga ooga that's all i can think of whenever i think about this scene and adam wakes up from his sleep and he says this at last Is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's an amazing moment in God's creation. God saw that man is alone, puts him to sleep, he wakes up to see someone. And I think before you recognize that there are differences, Adam is thankful that there is sameness. This at last, finally, there is someone who is like me. This is bone of my bones, and this is flesh of my flesh. Adam's song in verse 23, it's primarily celebrating sameness. There is another thing on the earth that is like me. We're we're the same, except we're not the same. You know know what I'm saying? We're the same, but we're, we're, we're not the same. She's different. And she was different enough to give her a different title. And Adam exclaimed, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And God had formed something remarkable. Just as he said in chapter 1 verse 27, in the image of God he created a dom, male and female he created them. Both were created with intrinsic worth and value. Both were placed in the temple of creation to subdue it and to rule it as God's kingly priests, and both were necessary for the procreation of more image bearers that would fill the earth with the glory of Christ. One was not meant to dominate the other. One was not made to shine brighter than the other. One was not made more like God than the other. One was not made to succeed more than the other. Male and female were created equal in value, and in the new covenant, we see an even greater exhortation that in the church we actually all stand shoulder to shoulder in the kingdom of God. Yes, the world has marred the beauty and the, the value and the equality of men and women, but under the healing payment of Christ's death on the cross, Galatians 3 proclaims there is no male or female in Christ Jesus. We stand shoulder to shoulder in the kingdom of God. We all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But our maleness and our femaleness are are, are a very necessary part for reflecting and imaging God on the earth. He did not make a mistake, but he purposed in two genders Follow Just as the Father is not greater than the Son or the Son than the Spirit, equal value is expressed in the creation of male and female. So you have to get your worth from God and not from what the culture is preaching, not from what the culture is saying. You were never meant to draw your conclusions from the culture and the world. You are meant to draw your, 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 your conclusions about your sexual identity and your, your maleness and your femaleness from the Bible. And we see what God purposed in Genesis chapter 2. It leads us to point number 2, and it's this. Male and female have distinct complementary roles. Male and female have distinct complementary roles. Now, the distinction and the complementary roles of male and female or husbands and wives, you'll either take two different ways. You will either see God's divine design... Of role as a beautiful expression of complementary gifts that image him in the family and in the church and on the earth, or you will take your cues from the world and see them as a diminishing equality or value. You're always, as a believer, got to be reading through the lens of the gospel. Sin has marred everything. And so absolutely women have been diminished in society. Men have been domineering and egotistical in society. Men today are becoming passive and lazy and forfeiting the God-given role of leadership in the world and in our families and in the church. And absolutely women are grasping for power and fighting for equality based on the world's standards and not God's standards. But the Bible is trying to show us a better way. The gospel is proclaiming a better way. Jesus came to show us a better way. And Jesus did it so well. And all through the gospel, we see women being elevated and willing, women being celebrated and women being close to the feet of Jesus. And we also saw Jesus choosing for himself 12 men who would be the foundation of the early church. So understand, as we begin to talk about the the complementary roles of men and women, everyone submits to someone. Everybody is under some type of authority, even within the Godhead. I've told you before, God doesn't ask us to do that which he is not modeling. And so the Son, who is perfect, submits to the Father, and the Holy Spirit submits to the will of the Father within the Godhead. There is oneness, but there are distinct roles within the Trinity And just as the Godhead works together and depends on each other, we were created to be men and women under authority and live in dependence to the Creator. Let me show you it in the text. Genesis 2, verse 7 again. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So male is created first in the divine order. And a male is a product of God... A male is under the headship of God and a male is made to submit to God. And we see Adam doing just that in the garden. God gave Adam tasks that were leadership-driven tasks. He is to show dominion over the animals and over the land. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God gave the man instruction of what To eat and not to eat. Look at verse 16 in your Bible. And the Lord God commanded the man, the male, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So by giving the man the instruction, it shows that a man is meant to obey God. And a man is meant to protect others from what God says not to do. And Adam should have stopped his wife from taking the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as the tempter was tempting her. Adam should have guarded his wife. And though Eve eats the fruit since that day, the Bible proclaims that sin has come through one man. It doesn't proclaim that sin came through Eve. It, it, it holds Adam responsible For the sin of the world. Because Adam was not leading within his family in the moment and protecting his wife. Man is held responsible for sin because man was supposed to lead and protect his wife in the garden. And then later in this chapter, God establishes the context of marriage in verse 24 of your Bible. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You see some responsibilities assigned to man here. A man leaves his parents, which shows maturity, which shows growth, which shows an ability to provide and protect. A man is called to hold fast to his wife, which shows a bond that won't be severed by any obstacle or hardship. Divorce is not an issue. A man covers the shame of his wife and loves his wife like Christ loves the church. And together they become one flesh. And oneness happens through the consummation of marriage, but also in the male and in the female living into their complementary designs. Uh, My marriage is very much one flesh because my wife tries to cheer me on in my God-given roles and responsibilities, and I try to cheer her on in her God-given roles and responsibilities. But that takes work especially in a sinful world. But the work is definitely not doing away with roles and complementary roles that God designed. The second thing that we see in the text is that God created female second, and that's where in verses 21 through 22, God takes the rib and God fashions the woman, and Adam wakes up and sees the woman. So so her being created second, you could rise up and say, well, that's not fair. Why did she get created second? Why didn't God take the rib out of the woman and create the man. This is not a diminishing thing. Rather, it's an orderly thing. God is a God of order, and his order reflects his nature. And when we live in his order, drawing value from him versus the culture, we actually reflect his nature on the earth. God took woman out of man. It shows a dependency that Eve would have on Adam and that Adam should have toward his wife and forming woman from a rib in Adam's side shows that they would fit with one another as companions sexually and socially. They were capable of doing what God asked them without one another. They, they were incapable of, of doing what God asked them to do without one another. They couldn't be fruitful and multiply because it takes male and female to do so, they couldn't live in community because that takes both genders. They couldn't have companionship because Adam was lonely without Eve. In Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone, so God made him a helper fit for him. And this word helper that's describing the woman that God was about to create, it's not a diminishing term. And uh, Aaron Harris, who's the women's ministry director here, Uh, different parts of our team were passing me some different notes, and Aaron had wrote a a paragraph that I thought was very well said about what it means to be a woman and that Hebrew word for helper. I just want to read to you what she wrote. Listen, Eve is considered a helpmate. The term used for helper in the Hebrew is ezer, and the same word used to describe God to the people of Israel multiple times in the Old Testament. The ezer describes a warrior-like helper. I love how Caroline Custis James describes the term Ezer. Ezer is a powerful Hebrew military word that is used most often in the Bible to describe God as Israel's helper. God employs the term twice when he creates woman. The Bible's consistent usage of Ezer within a military context has led to the conclusion that God created the woman to be a warrior alongside the man in advancing God's kingdom throughout the earth. This is every woman's calling, regardless of her age, marital status, or circumstances. Every woman is an easer from birth to death. And we are warriors for God's purpose alongside our brothers in Christ. Aaron concludes, One of the primary goals and prayers of the direction of women's discipleship at Gospel City is to equip and train up women who can step into their God-given role as an easier warrior, confident and strong in their identity as a woman made in the image of God and in their understanding of God's word as it pertains to life and godliness prepared for the advancement of ...of the kingdom in any capacity God calls them to. Very well said. And and I'll tell you, I am so blessed to be able to share my life with a wife who I consider a warrior for Jesus Christ. I'm also very blessed to be joined to a body of both males and females... and, ...and get to work with sisters in Christ who I would consider warriors for Christ... And I I think it's so important for men to get in men's groups and women's to get in women's group, but the mixed small group thing has got it going on because males and females together are imaging the glory of God on the earth and and the perspectives and the perceptions between one another can build us up in the faith. And when men and women embrace their God-given distinct and complementary gifts, it not only images God, but it complements one another just as God intended in The garden. So, quickly, kind of a convictional thing as a church, Gospel City Church, we would say that we are a complementarian church. That's a conviction that we stand on as a church, and we draw those conclusions right out of Genesis chapter 2. I was reading our our statement from the doctrinal statement on marriage and family and and women and, and men. And uh, I just wanted to read it to you. It's on the screen. Listen, we believe that marriage is created by God to be shared between one biological man and one biological woman in a lifelong holy covenant for the purpose of companionship, sexual intimacy, and procreation. Our created gender, sexuality, and sexual fulfillment are gifts from the Creator and are to be embraced with gratitude and worship. God designed sexual intimacy to be expressed and consummated only between a man and a woman when they are united as one flesh in marriage. Men and women are created in the image of God and stand equal in dignity and worth. God designed gender, recognized through our biological sex as an immutable reality, essential to our identity as male and female. And while the fall distorts God's design for gender... Jesus makes men and women fellow heirs of God's eternal grace who differ in complementary and mutually beneficial ways. We affirm the significant role women should play in the local church and that every leadership opportunity is open to women except those excluded by Scripture in the home and the church. Specifically, the Scriptures state that husbands are called to lead and love in the home as Christ loves the church and that a plurality of men are to serve the church as elders and pastors. And I believe that that is beautiful truth said in a very loving way, drawn straight out of Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. You saw it on display even as Mark Serber came up here and we install him as an elder and we as men of church have been praying for God to raise up elders. But what I want you to notice, we're not just celebrating Mark. Uh, part of being a, a godly leader within the body of Christ is that you are a godly leader within your home. And that's why Amanda was very much beside her. And we wrestled with, if you should bring the whole family up here, and, and I'll tell you this, I've been in Mark's home, and Amanda's the hero of that home. <laughs> I mean, Amanda is awesome. And Amanda loves Jesus with her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Amanda is, is making that home a place that displays the glory of God. And so it's their togetherness that it is imaging the glory of God. And and we very much are celebrating both Mark and Amanda in their distinct complementary roles as God has called Mark to step up and to lead God's church in this season. So the complementary roles of men and women are not something to apologize for or be skittish about, but rather they are to be celebrated among us. And if there's something that God's gender assignment Has not asked of you, then it is an opportunity for you to find fulfillment in Him and not your own desires this morning. See, the world will will tell you to follow your feelings. The world that we live in right now will say if you don't feel like being a boy, don't be a boy. You don't feel like being a girl, don't be a girl. Be true to your inner self, take what's yours. If you don't like it, change it. And that's why we desperately need to know whose we are and who we are as defined in Genesis chapter 2. The gospel invites you not to take what's not yours, but it invites you to die to yourself and to pick up your cross and to follow Christ and have an abundant life. But some in the church have gone the way of the world. Some have either blurred the lines of conviction written on the first pages of the Bible or they've considered you an outcast because of your own wrestling with sexual identity. And and this not only steals the power of God within the local church when we blur the lines of convictions that are seen in Scripture, but it also represents Jesus in really poor light, and it confuses the sexually broken. And I'm not naive enough to think that in a room this size, There are people here today who are wrestling with sexual identity. And maybe you've been treated poorly in the church. Maybe you've been condemned by those who are called to love. Or you've been treated as an an anomaly. Or you've been made to feel like You're the only one who struggles with sexual brokenness. I'll tell you right now, I I am a sexually broken man because of the fall. I am tempted to take that which is not mine. But I want you to hear that you are loved today. God wants you to hear that you are loved today and the gospel declares that God sees what is not good for you and that God sent his only son to die on a cross in your place as a substitute for your sins and he defeated death, he defeated the grave, he defeated all the confusion and the lies that the enemy will try to throw at you and that the culture will try to throw at you so don't go the way of the world but turn from your sin, turn from this world and follow Christ. Because God desires to heal. And God desires to get personal with you. God desires to answer the deepest, darkest questions of your heart. And God desires to restore that which is broken. He desires that everywhere people would confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's the only way to hope and restoration. And it leads us to the final point in today's sermon. And it's this. Male and female are the fullest expression ...of the glory of God. Fullest expression of the glory of God. I don't have time to read verses 9-14... through ...but it, it, it describes this immaculate, beautiful garden... ...that God made and placed Adam and Eve in. Some really cool parallels between the Garden of Eden... ...and the temple and the tabernacle that we later see... ...in the Pentateuch as God's people begin to live and move... ...and have their being in a sinful world. God's presence was in the garden and God's presence was in the temple. There was a tree of life in the garden. In the middle of the temple, there was a, a, a candle stand that represented a tree. In the garden, there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the temple, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the Ten Commandments, which shows sinful mankind the knowledge of what is good and evil. And you didn't touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You also didn't want to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Both the garden and the temple faced it east and They were guarded by cherubim. But perhaps the most important thing, both show us the priestly role. At the temple, later in the Old Testament, the priestly role would speak to God on behalf of the people and lead the people to God. And in the garden, Adam and Eve were meant to be the king priests of God's grand creation. In essence, they were made to walk with God and be the worship leaders of God's grand creation. They reflected the image of God. They subdued and used the resources of the land to glorify God. And they would be fruitful and multiply, pointing generations to Yahweh, who is their God. That was God's intention. That's what God created in the garden. Go to verse 25. In chapter 2, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When I read that verse at home, everybody chuckles. I told the worship team to come out on the verse that I read about man and woman being naked. So if you see them moving, that's why they're coming. (laughs) But that's as vulnerable as it gets right there. Their different anatomy is visible, their attraction toward each other was evident. Their God-given tasks were obvious and able, and all of it was in the absence of shame. Nothing to laugh about. Nothing to be ashamed about. There was no need to cover up that which reflected the image and the glory of God. There was no perverse thinking. There was no adulterated motives. There was no self-gratifying idolatry. There was no dissatisfaction with the way that they were made. It was male and it was female, created in the image of God, representing the fullest expression of God's glory on the earth. So it means that without one of them, we miss out on the glory and the image of God. A marriage without male and female is no marriage at all. God gets to define that. And it takes a male and it takes a female. And a marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God, conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime for the glory of God. And we stand on that truth. A family without a father and a mother misses out on the fullest expression of God's glory in the home. And just let me say, I know that fatherlessness is a massive problem in our culture and in our world because men are not standing up to, to lead their homes and to love their wives and to do what God called them to do. That's heartbreaking. But there may be single parents in this room due to tragedy, due to heartbreak, due to circumstances pre-Christ and you've come to know Christ. The beauty of the gospel is that all of this can be restored and, and it's being restored in the church. In the church. It's being restored in the bride of Christ that God is building up. And and regardless of your situation, the church would be a a terrible place if it was all men or it was all women. But the church is reflecting the, the full glory of God in its marring and in its brokenness, sure, because of this world. But because there is male and female, the image of God is on display. And in Christ, the fatherless, can find spiritual fathers. In Christ, the motherless can find spiritual mothers. In Christ, the homeless can find a home. And in Christ, the orphan can find a family. And in Christ, the fullest expression of God is on display in the family of God that he is building. And I hope that you hear this with humility this morning. I, I pray that that any truth that I would give would would come to you in humility and and if you're struggling if you've been hurt by the church uh, if you have deep dark questions if you're wrestling with some of these things that we're even talking about that's what the body of Christ is for not to condemn you not to push you away but that you would come that we could pray with you and that we could see the Lord restore that which he made that's what that which he intended in your soul Psalm 95 so come let us worship and bow down Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Let's just bow our heads together. Would you just take a second? We're gonna sing a song a chorus in just a moment would you just thank God for his divine design in your life would you thank God for the value that he's stamped deep within your soul would you thank God for your distinct role that he's given you as a man or as a woman and would you ask him to help you to lean in all that He intends so that you could image Him so that you could reflect Him and so that you could be a part of His bride that He is building Father we come and we thank You for Your Word it's holy it's inerrant but Lord I pray that Your Spirit would apply it to our hearts this morning and Lord as the Word is applied to our hearts I pray that we would respond in worship to You the Maker that we would respond in worship to you, our creator, that we would find our being in Yahweh and that we would know, Lord, that we are walking in step with you. I pray for each person here today that might be struggling, each person here today that is a product of the culture and and Lord, the culture has, has told them to run toward the things of this world. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict them I pray that your spirit would open their heart, that they might repent and believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they might come as they are, trusting that you can put all the pieces together. Lord, I pray for those who have been hurt by the church over instances and circumstances and topics like this. Lord, I pray that humility would be on display in this place and that people would know that Gospel City are are Christians because of our love. Help us not to just say we love God and love people, but help us to actually love people with the radical love of Jesus that has been extended to us. Lord, we give you praise because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and it's your breath in our lungs and that's the reason that we pour out our praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.